You're listening to the Inner Child Podcast. Hey loves, I've got an amazing guest interview for you today with someone that you might actually know. He is an absolute champion in the entire industry of trauma, mental health, and healing. And he also has a top trauma and mental health podcast that you might subscribe to called the Think Unbroken Podcast. This is my good friend, Michael Unbroken. Michael was a biracial kid who grew up and survived an abusive childhood and has now become an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, speaker, coach, and advocate for survivors of childhood trauma. I was on his podcast, now he's on mine. And today, Michael is going to share his perspective on healing from having a very, very unhappy childhood with little or no positive memories at all, what that's like and how he overcame that, as well as his own unique tips as a trauma coach in his own right. Now, I did want to add a trigger warning as we do briefly touch upon some violence and abuse that had happened to Michael when he was young. So I wanted to put that warning in there. But without further ado, please welcome Michael Unbroken to the podcast right after this intro. Hi, I'm Gloria Zhang, and after 10 years of struggling in toxic relationships, I attracted the love of my life by healing my inner child. This podcast is your weekly dose of my expertise as a therapist and dating relationship coach for high achievers. Learn tips to overcome low self-worth, emotional baggage, and childhood trauma so that you too can step into your power and attract the love you desire. Welcome to the Inner Child Podcast. Michael, welcome to the Inner Child Podcast. I'm super, super excited for you to be here, and I've been waiting for this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here with you, too. Thank you. Michael, can you tell us who you are and who is it that you help? Yeah, so I am a person who believes that once you can figure out how to change the way you think about the world, that anything becomes possible. And in that, it has led me to this place in my life where I am fortunate and honored to be able to help people who come from what I come from, and that is severe and just unbelievable childhood trauma. I love that so much. And there's a reason you're here on this podcast, and I know so many people are going to be able to relate to your story. You know, one of the things that I found really interesting is I don't really love the word wounded healer. But we both kind of have that in our backgrounds. And I wanted to know, what was it like growing up for you? And how did you get from that to where you are today? So when I was four years old, my mother, who was a drug addict and alcoholic, she actually cut off my right index finger. And so if that gives you baseline, people are like, well, how could a mother do that? Well, it was generational trauma repeating itself. And my stepfather was super abusive. The kind of guy you pray is never your stepfather. And I spent the majority of my childhood homeless and in poverty. In fact, by the time that I was 12, I lived with 30 different families. I got high for the first time when I was 12, drunk at 13, 
at 15, got expelled from school for selling drugs, luckily got put into a last chance program, still did not graduate high school on time. I was selling drugs, breaking in houses, stealing cars and hurting people. And basically, they just handed me my high school diploma and they're like, you just got to get the hell out of here. And I didn't know what to do because the only thing I'd ever heard was like, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not, you're never going to amount to anything. My dreams are always crushed. And so I had this one vision of, I'm going to join the military. I'm going to be a Marine Corps scout sniper, but I hurt my knee. And so my only dream of making it out of all of that was taken away. So now I'm at 18 and a half trying to figure out like what to do with my life coming from all this trauma, all this abuse, all this pain. And I was like, oh, the solution for this is money, right? It's got to be money because that's the only thing I ever hear. And so what I did in that is I said, I'm going to make $100,000 per year legally. And that was important because today my three childhood best friends have been murdered. And it's all because of drugs. And I was in that. I was hurting people. I was taking from people. So fast forward a couple of years. I'm heading into 21. I land a job with a Fortune 10 company. No high school diploma, no college education. And then that thing that happens to people when they get money for the first time happened to me. And it destroyed my life. And I found myself by the time I was 25 heading into 26, I was 350 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, drinking myself to sleep, cheating on my girlfriend. And that's when I put a gun in my mouth. I was just done. I was like, money was supposed to solve this shit. And it didn't. And the reason why is because I hadn't done the work yet. And I was laying in bed the next day. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Keep in mind, I'm 350 pounds. I'm eating chocolate cake and watching the CrossFit games. And like, if that's not rock bottom, like, I don't know what is. And for whatever reason, I went into the bathroom that day, just honestly tired of my own bullshit. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And I remember being eight years old and the water company had come and turned our water off. Now think about this. I grew up in America. We were so poor. They turned our water off. And I took this little blue bucket from across the street from my backyard. And I walked across the street to the neighbor's house and I turned on their spigot on the side of their house. And for the first time I stole water. And I remember being in that moment and thinking like, when I'm a grown up, this is not going to be my life. Now, Gloria, to an extent, it wasn't my life because I had money and cars and blah, blah, blah. But I was still that hurt, lost little boy. And looking in the mirror and having that moment and asking myself the question, what was I willing to do? The words, no excuses, just results started just reverberating through my body. Almost 12 years later, here I am talking to you. Now, this was a process of getting really serious about not negotiating with myself anymore about not feeling sorry for myself anymore, about not playing the victim role, even though I have all the right in the world to do it. And just looking at it and going, am I going to take control of my future or not? And that started this path of therapy, group therapy, men's group therapy, EMDR, CBT, trauma-informed therapy. And then it got into personal development, coaching and Tony Robbins seminars and conferences and reading the books and going to the places and having a coach. And then it got deep into education. And I have over 35 trauma-informed certifications and certificates today, all because I was trying to figure out how to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And by proxy of that, I had no intention ever of doing what I do today. It was never on the table, but sometimes the universe speaks some stuff into you and you just got to go with that. And that's how I got to where I am. Michael, I felt that in every fiber of my being. Wow. 
I'm so glad you're here with us today. And I can see you have done some major, major identity shifts in your work. And by the way, Tony Robbins changed my life. I love his work. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. Even if it wasn't elevated pitch, there's so much truth in it and where you've come from and where you are today. So that is awesome. Is that part of where the word unbroken came from? I know that's one of your taglines. What does unbroken mean and how did you get to that word? Yeah, you know, that's the company. That's who I am. That's who we are. That is everything I think about every single day. And it comes from a couple of places. One is there's a moment about four years ago from having a conversation with someone in which they go, you know what? You're broken. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's not me. And that triggered this memory and memories of all these times throughout my youth, my teens, my twenties, where people use that word. You're like, you're broken. You're fucked up. And I'm like, I'm not, maybe I just need a hug. Maybe I need compassion. Maybe I need empathy. Maybe I need someone to help me. Right. And in that understanding and in recognizing that that has become a very interesting nomenclature in the vernacular of the way that people interact with each other when we're not in synchronicity about the way mental health should be viewed in the world. I was like laying in bed. It's like four o'clock in the morning. I'm pissed off. Right. And I was just like, wait a second. That's not me. That's not who I am. That's not how I think. And it was that moment crystallized forever effectively that has led me down this path. And when I first started, it was just blogging. I was just sharing some stuff on the internet I read that I thought was interesting, hoping like my brothers would read it, hoping that it would engage some people, really doing it in some sense as a therapeutic manner for myself. It's very cathartic. I'm a writer by nature, probably first and foremost. And in that, I just started having connection with people and they would reach out and they're like, man, I had that experience or that thing you posted really helped me or that video you made saved my life. And it kind of just started to transform into this thing, this movement, this idea, this, and it's very much in its infancy. I've only been doing it for a few years and I see this mm -hmm. being something that hopefully will impact the world because my mission is very simple. I want to end generational trauma in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it's very Malcolm X about it by any means necessary. So I'm always just trying to put out information to the world. I love that. You've just described our audience to a T, Michael. We work with high achievers, right? And I think a lot of people can relate to your experience where on the outside, it looks like everything's together. You might have the cars, the job, and kind of chasing after that white picket fence dream, right? But on the inside, it can totally not feel like that at all. And it really is about doing the work. And from your line of work and with what you help people with, what is the work to someone who's never gone there before? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's multifaceted and you know this, it's much more complicated than I think we could ever explain in a handful of minutes. But ultimately, I think about it like this. It's the first thing I write down in the morning, actually, every day. I write down face fear face fear. And the reason that I start there is because we carry so much pain from the experiences that we've had in our past that hinder us, the limiting beliefs. Now we have words for that, but it's really about that place of like being stuck. 
that place of leveraging your past experiences in a way that they inform all of the things that happen in your life. It's about letting other people be in control of your future by proxy of the events that occurred. And to me, doing the work, it's not people go, yeah, I'll go to therapy. I don't think that's good enough. To be honest with you, I've been going to therapy since I was seven years old. Nothing in my life changed until I started making hard decisions. And that's a difficult thing to hear. Now, therapy is a practical tool. Let's not get it misconstrued. I still go to therapy. I recommend everyone does. You need a non-biased party to be a part of your experience to help you navigate the understanding of the things of the world. But it's also about challenging yourself. And that's where it gets scary for a lot of people. Because when we grow up, not only necessarily by the structures of society and our home and our peers and our communities, but often from our own self, we put ourselves against this wall that says, I'm not allowed to be me. And what I mean by that, think about this. When you're a little kid and you're in school and you paint the moon purple and you're in third grade, the teacher comes up to you and goes, Gloria, who do you think you are? You don't paint the moon purple what you think you're special, you know, something different, right? And then we learn how to walk on the right side of the hall and go to lunch at this time and not be critical thinkers. And then we go home, which for many of us, like me was the most terrifying experience of my day. I'd be at home and I couldn't be myself because there was nothing more dangerous. How dare you have a thought, an opinion, an example of who it is that you want to be. And you learn to turn that off. And so when you turn that off, What effectively happens is you move towards what other people's expectations of you are because it's effectively a defensive mechanism that creates a parameter of safety in your life that keeps you communal so you don't get ostracized. Okay, great. So what does that have to do with doing the work? Everything. Because here's what happens. That autonomic response to this stimuli that puts you in a position of turning yourself off serves you until it doesn't. And when it stops serving you, it's when your life is no longer in danger. Now, that's different for everyone. And I think about this a lot. Maybe it's when you're 18 and you move out when it was like what I did. Maybe you're 27, you leave a relationship. Maybe it's 48. One of my clients is 63 years old. At some point, you go, okay, I've got to learn how to be me. And in the process of doing the work, it is about evaluating, creating who you are. It's literally creating the person, the Michael standing here, sitting here, talking to you today is a caricature realized of the idea of the person that I believed that I could be. And in that process of doing the work, it's literal. Do the work, show up for yourself, do the hard things, challenge the narrative of what you deserve, put yourself in very uncomfortable positions in your life in which you have to make a decision about what it is that you want. Now, the hard part in this, Gloria, is that space and in that space between making the decision and carrying it through is that thing, that autonomic response that makes you not want to do it for fear. And then you have to ask yourself this question, is the stress that I'm feeling right now going to kill me? Most often, it's probably not. And so when you understand something really important, we automatically turn ourselves off because it's a defensive mechanism and we learn how to stop trusting our intuition. Mm -hmm. And the moment we do is the most terrifying experiences that we have. You want to do the work, start trusting your gut. Start making hard decisions and ask yourself this question. Am I taking care of myself or am I taking it 
easy on myself because there's a space of growth that only happens by doing hardship. And if you're afraid to do that hardship, your life isn't going to change. And I know that's a hard thing to hear. And people are going to hear this and go, well, what about being gentle with yourself? What about being compassionate with yourself? What about having empathy? Yes, have all of those things and still challenge yourself. Evaluate failure, embrace it, look at it and go, this is beautiful data for me to understand what I don't like or what I do like. And then take that information and build momentum in the little wins that you have day to day as you try to make your life different. See, people always want to make their life better. I have no idea what that means. What is the measurement for that? How do you determine better? Like who figures out better? I don't know what that means, but I always ask myself, can I make my life different? Can I just move one degree in a different direction than where I was today towards what it is that I believe that I want towards what that gut intuition feeling is towards what it is that I dreamed about as a kid. You know, there's people who are like, when I grew up, I had no dreams for real. My only dream was don't die. And then I got to this place where I was like, oh, shit, well, what do you really do with life? And I had to grab this thing called a pen and a piece of paper. And I just had to start mapping out what I thought my world could be. And if you do the work, that thing that you think you can have on a long enough timeline will come to fruition. But doing the work is very literal. And so you've got to make changes. Such a great answer, Michael. And it's so true. A lot of the time, the thing that we're resisting the most is the thing that we really have to do. We share a lot of opinions on this because I started off as a therapist. And even as a therapist, I realized that it wasn't until I got into coaching that a lot of my clients then started to get that momentum and seeing results. So I'm always happy to hear other people in this field who are open to talking about this. So, I mean, again, therapy is a great tool, but I think sometimes just having that space isn't enough because you do have to combine the inner work with that action, right? I'm totally on board with that. The other thing I was really excited to ask you about, Michael, is I just love seeing more men in this space, especially men of color, people of color, and breaking the stigma on mental health. You know, I come from an Asian background and mental health and Doing this work, it's still something that is not acceptable to talk about. And it's such a huge problem. But what has it been like for you, you know, for a man going through this work? What are the challenges that you've run into and how is it different? Well, I don't know how it's different because I can't compare myself to anyone else but <laughs> yes. me. Here's my thought on this. I don't care what people think about me. And what I mean by that, not in this negative way, not in this nonchalant way, but in that, like, who do you think you are to talk about this way? Well, I'm here to talk about it because I choose to. I made a decision about it. And in that decision, one of the things that happens is I decide that the consequences, whether good or bad, I'm going to accept in this journey. I think it's really spectacular that we have more people of all ethnicities, sexualities, races, genders, whatever, having this conversation. Because the reality is, and I think about this a lot, childhood trauma is like the elephant in the room of mental health care. It affects totally. everybody and doctors won't talk about it. Because the baseline vernacular of this idea about talking about mental health around childhood trauma and abuse is... You're a grown up, shouldn't you be over that? And I go, wait a second, think about this from a very practical standpoint. If it's true, which I believe it is, 
that we are the sum total of all of our experiences leading up to this moment, then wouldn't it mean that those past experiences influenced who we are today? And to negate that, I think that you're doing yourself and the world a huge disservice. Mm -hmm. So as a man in the conversation, what I think is really interesting to me as I've grown, as I've changed, as I've healed, is that I've removed myself from a lot of the baseline understandings of what I believed it was to be a man. Because you see, I didn't have a man of any substance in my life. My stepfather was a piece of now, look, I say that while I also simultaneously understand that he was impacted by his own generational trauma. His mother was not a good person. His father, not a good person. Oh, okay, cool. So you're taking and leveraging learned behavior to address situations in your life because that's how human beings work, right? But there is a point where you have to look at it and go, what am I really doing? right? What is really happening? And so for me as a man, I looked at that and said, what am I really doing? Because my understanding of being a man prior to really 10 years ago was how many women did you sleep with? How much money do you have? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of clothes do you wear? What is your job title? I was best friends with my ex-best friend for a decade almost. We hugged three times. Like what kind of connection is that mm. as human beings? Yeah. And I said to myself, I don't want to be in connection with people like that. And so to stand here and have these conversations, it makes people uncomfortable, right? And look, I'm biracial. I'm black and white. I've seen both sides of this. I'm covered in tattoos. I'm six foot four. People go, that guy's terrifying when he walks down the street, but I'm about kindness, honesty, kindness, self-actualization and leadership. Those are my values. People go, what do you know about kindness? How about everything. And so I think about this all the time. Like, what does it mean to be a man and have this conversation? What does it mean to be a human being and have this conversation? Like you, I'm having this human experience and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate it. And even in being a leader in this space, I still make mistakes. I still f up and I promise you it will happen again. I will say something stupid. I will do something dumb. <laughs> I will learn from those failures and those mistakes. I will question whether or not I did the right thing or said the right thing or moved the right way in the moment. And ultimately I go, okay, cool. This is a part of the experience. So to very pointedly answer your question, as a man in this space, the one thing that I think is important is to recognize and understand that I'm just a person. Mm. I'm a person like you who has suffered tremendous pain, who my only wish in life outside of ending generational trauma is that I die in my sleep so I don't have to feel more pain. And so I think about that, right? And I go, well, what can I do between now and that moment to create change in the world? And that is about empowering people. It's about helping mm -hmm. people. It's about showing people the tools because ultimately, and I know that you'll agree with this, Gloria, I've never actually done anything that helped anyone other than show them a roadmap. Mm -hmm. That's it. Because I don't live for you. I don't breathe for you. I don't act for you. I don't love for you. Those decisions, those are about you. And so when I sit here as a man, the only thing that I try to do is lead from my heart and then hope, hope that I do the right things along the way because I've taken the time to take the action to learn how to do things the way that I believe is the right way. Yeah, I'm with you there. Like we're not here to rescue people, right? We're helping people help themselves. I think that's a really important distinction. I love what you said. You know, I shared this on one of my earlier podcasts, but when I was a kid, maybe you had that too, but I was so dissociated from my body. I would mm -hmm. look at myself from a third person point of view. 
And I used to think of myself as a soul. I spent a lot of time very isolated and alone as a kid. And so the racial part didn't even stick out to me until I was much older, just because I was so closed off from people extremely isolated. And, you know, I've just been really excited in recent months that there have been a lot more men and non-binary people listening to the show. And I think you're right. I think we're really in the middle of breaking down toxic masculinity and gender norms and what it really means to be like a man or a woman or in between. I think it's such an important conversation. But overall, in the human experience, what does that inner child healing look like for you, for anyone listening? Yeah, you know, I I wrote a book called Eight Steps to Healing Your Inner Child. And you don't even think you need eight steps, right? But I think we can create practical things for people. I think ultimately it's just asking yourself, are you taking care of yourself? Are you giving yourself the thing that the people who were supposed to give you did not? That to me is what it's like. And even myself, I think about this all the time. I think about a lot of things all the time, clearly, because I keep saying that, but it's always in my head. Like, what does it mean to take care of yourself? That's where that question, are you taking care of yourself or are you taking it easy on yourself comes from? trying to honor that inner child in you. Because if you think about this, right, as a little kid, parameters are going to vary. But if you could give yourself your dream, you would do anything to get it until that moment someone comes and takes it away from you or disempowers you or disenfranchises you, right? Okay, cool. So who's in your way right now, right? And that's what I think about, like, because the inner kid in me is still like, I was a writer as a child. I was a speaker as a child. Okay, cool. And then I didn't do it for a very long time because I felt like my voice didn't matter or was taken away. And I had to build that into myself. I had to learn it. I had to love it. I had to embrace it. I had to challenge myself to do it. Right. And it was little things like write blogs and then take a writing class and then write the first book and get it published and write the second book and now write the third book. And then from the speaking side, it was like, go and do stand-up comedy because it's super uncomfortable <laughs> and go to Toastmasters and go speak in all these different countries and be on all these podcasts. And it's always about just honoring that question. Question. If I want to be that person, this caricature, I want to bring that to realization because that inner part of me as a kid was always like, I just want to impact the world in this really crazy way. You know, it's really funny is when I was a kid, other kids would make fun of me and call me coach, like as a joke, hmm. like it was <laughs> jokes on them now <laughs> demeaning. Yeah. hundred percent. But here's what happened. I was listening to the audiobook. I cannot remember it. And I've said this a thousand times. If anyone knows it, but tell me what this is. The guy is talking about this idea that the nickname we have as a child often becomes the reality that we have mm -hmm. as an adult. And so now today, this idea about coach and everybody's a life coach today, right? Fine, whatever. That's a different conversation for another day. <laughs> but I think about this. If it's true for you that you want to be that thing, that's your inner child talking. It's saying, hey, here I am. Listen to me. Go do this. Have this adventure. Try that thing. Jump off the swing set. And then you're going to ask yourself, are you going to do it or not? I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> Michael, when you were in those dark times, what did you do to speak belief into yourself, even when no one else around you could hold you to that dream? You know, it's funny because I'm super stubborn. 
I know that is my greatest flaw and my greatest trait. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm incredibly stubborn and I've had to learn how to navigate that. I've had to learn how to understand that. I've had to learn how to leverage that as a tool. And so I think the first thing that you need to do is really understand who you are, understand who you are first. And in that process, it's a discovery, but discovering who you are and then creating value system around that helps you in that dark time. Right. And so if I go back, let's call it 12, 13 years ago, and I'm really at this rock bottom and my life sucks, like it was bad. And I look at that, I go, the thing that I wasn't doing is I wasn't asking myself what I wanted. Mm. I wasn't following through and facing the fear of those choices and those decisions. And so the self-talk is everything. I wasn't being kind to myself. And somebody listening right now, you've made it this far, you're probably being more unkind to yourself than anyone in your life. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting here and you're calling yourself stupid and worthless and incapable, that's going to be true. Why? Because we are the stories that we tell ourselves. What you think becomes what you speak. What you speak become your actions and your actions become your reality. Mm -hmm. And some of the things you tell to yourself, if you told to another person, you would get punched in the face or you would get arrested. And yet you're talking to yourself like that and you can't seem to get unstuck. Okay, great. Let's do something very practical. Again, what I tell you, I love the pen. I love writing. I want you to grab your pen and I want you to write this down. And I want you to tell yourself every single day until you convince yourself that it is so unabashedly true that it cannot be changed. And you're going to write this down. I am the kind of person who is kind to myself. Because when you start Mm. operating through the framework of I am the kind of person who is kind to myself, on a long enough timeline, you will move with action in the way that a person who is kind to themselves would move. I mean, to say that that became the pivotal turning point in my life would be an understatement Mm -hmm. because I had to understand that the way that I was talking to myself matters. And so in passing, the little things count. Every single time you're like, oh, I spilled the milk. I'm a fucking moron. You got to stop that. Because if you Mm -hmm. don't stop that, nothing will change in your life because you're negatively reinforcing. It's effectively self-sabotage on autopilot, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's all you heard growing up. And so when I was in this place of this darkness, I was trying to pull myself out. It really did start with looking in the mirror, getting real with myself, and then having a different conversation. Mm -hmm. That's so, so powerful. I love that written exercise right there. Thank you for sharing. And it's so simple, but simple doesn't mean not powerful. Yes, correct. What would you tell your own inner child from years ago? If you could speak to that young version of you, what would you say? You know, I do it so often now. It's just literally about moving into what I want, trusting my intuition. When people understand what I'm about to say, I think it'll really change your life. And I think that what I'm about to say is so much about owning your inner child and the part of you that was turned off or taken away. I only do what I want to do, and I never do what I don't want to do. And what I mean by that is it's honoring myself. It's honoring that part of me where it's like, for real, Gloria, like I am the dude on the airplane playing the Nintendo Switch. 
I'm running multiple companies, right? But I know that when I fly, because I have massive anxiety about it, right? Which I've learned how to turn off and now I fly all the time. But still, I'm like, I'm going to play video games. I'm going to (laughs) disconnect. I don't care that you're looking at me and going, wow, that guy looks like he's like 40 playing video games, covered in tattoo. (laughs) Not my problem. Your opinion of me is not my problem. And so I just honor that. Mm -hmm. I do what I want to do and I don't do what I don't want to do. Because the only thing I ever did as a kid were the things I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. Why? Because every single time I tried to tap into my intuition and who I was, there was a ramification. And so now I honor that fun, that play, that experience Mm -hmm. of who I am by doing what I want. And that doesn't mean I'm like out at the bars, like relling cocaine all night. Like that is never going to benefit me in any capacity. But what it does mean is in the moments of creativity, of fun, of excitement, of enjoyment, of planning, of trips, of life, of love, of happiness, of anything, I go, what do I want? And I honor that. Yeah. I love that so much. (laughs) And yeah, I'm all down to play video games on the plane. (laughs) I love that. And I say this to my clients sometimes, or I didn't realize what it meant to be a kid until I was in my 20s. I'm in my 30s now. And it's because it's those parts of you that you never got to express as a kid. And I feel more like a kid now than I did when I was actually 10. Yeah, And it's freaking awesome. But I bet you feel more peace in your life too, don't you? Oh, yes. That's why. That's what I think about all the time. I'm like, that's why you want to feel childlike. You've got to find peace. How do you find peace? You face your fears. Exactly. You've got to do the hard stuff first. Yep. So where do you find those pockets of joy now in your adult life? Where do you get to let your inner kid come out? Yeah, all the time. Again, it's hopping on the planes. It's being in the places I want to be. It's leading my companies. It's leading the people of the unbroken nation. It's having the podcast. It's really living my life. Like I love my life. People hear that and they're like, well, parts of your life must suck. Yep. Because it's life and you got to do shit you don't want to do. Right. And I mean that in the kind of minutia of the day to day. I didn't want to work out this morning, but I did anyway. And I find joy in that because I'm like, I push myself right? I find joy in the moments of facing the fear of going into the unknown. Like the happiest moment for me for real is that three seconds after I did something that I thought was impossible before I asked myself what's next. Mm, Love it. Thank you for sharing that, Michael. You know, for those listening who might be hearing all this, but then they're thinking to themselves, okay, well, how do I get started on this too? I get a lot of people writing in who always ask me, is it too late? What do you have to say to that? It's only too late if you decide it's too late. Yeah. Make a decision. It's that simple. You're either going to do it or you're not. Telling you right now, I got a client right now, again, 63 years old. I don't know. Figure your life out. Make a choice. I think that speaks for itself. Well, Michael, where can people find you online and maybe get a copy of your book, the one that you mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. I'm everywhere at Michael Unbroken. You can find me everywhere. And the best thing to do is go to thinkunbroken.com. And when you go to thinkunbroken.com, you can take free courses, read a book, listen to podcasts, like whatever you want. It's all there. That's awesome. And for those listening, if you learned something from this episode, like I took a bunch of notes just listening to Michael, I learned so much. And I know you did too. So take a screenshot and tag us both in your Instagram stories and we'll repost it for you. But Michael, this was so awesome. Such a wealth of knowledge you are from your own experience, from overcoming your pain, 
and now transforming that into something that's really helping the world and breaking cycles and breaking generations. So thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing that with us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you, my friend. If you love this episode, please hit subscribe and give us a five-star review. It really helps me a lot. So thank you. To join the community and get your daily dose of inner child tips, follow me on Instagram and social media at ByGloriaZang or visit ByGloriaZang.com. If you're a high achiever or an entrepreneur who wants to work with me, message me the words high achiever and I'll get in touch. Thanks, bestie. See you in the next one.